morning. Um, uh, if you're online, uh, I know uh, there are a few people online this morning. Uh, we welcome you too and are glad you're participating. We're in Mark's Gospel, and if you would turn to chapter 8 and, it, and stand. Pray with me. Gracious Lord, Jesus often called out, let him who has ears hear. Grant us to be able to hear. We're distracted easily. Grant us to hear deeply. Grant us to hear for what you're saying to us. Grant us, Lord, the grace to act on what we hear. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground and he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and he set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them and got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? Do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see men, but they look like trees walking. 
Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. Then Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked the disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. You may return to your seats. Now this morning, uh, we reached the high point in the first half of Mark's gospel. In the first half, Mark has shown us uh, the word and the powerful deeds of Jesus. And in the second half, Jesus will be headed toward Jerusalem, ultimately uh, to the cross. But right here, in the, we're in the very center of the gospel, and it's here that Peter, on behalf of all the disciples, confesses Jesus' identity, that he is indeed the Lord's Christ. Now, this is the beginning of a healing for Peter and the other disciples of an inner blindness. They won't fully grasp both Jesus' identity and mission until after the resurrection. And so today what I'd like to do is tell you the story of the healing of the disciples through the eyes of one who was there, through Peter's eyes. So I'm telling you it's going to be a little different this morning. Just how is it that Peter came to see who Jesus was? Well, if we could invite Peter here and he would take my uh, place, uh, he could tell us the story. And it would sound something like this. I'm glad to be with you uh, today. You know, it's really fitting uh, that I'm here. Mark and I spent many hours uh, together working on the gospel. Uh, Mark would sit for hours and listen to me tell the stories of what it was like to follow uh, Jesus. And he'd be taking notes the whole time. And then he'd read them back to me and ask me, did I leave anything out? And uh, I imagine you have a lot of questions as you read these events as to how it is uh, that it, it came to be that I confessed for all the rest that Jesus is the Christ. Well, these events may seem on the surface very uh, simple, but they reveal actually how Jesus opened our eyes. And this is kind of embarrassing to admit, but until the feeding of the 4,000 and these other events, we really didn't know who Jesus uh, was. You know, there were other people we encountered who actually understood him better than we did. Take, for instance, uh, that uh, Greek woman, uh, the Canaanite who had the daughter. She saw clearly who he was. She saw more than we did. And we didn't realize until that week just how clueless really we are. Now, it's just seemed like so many other weeks, just a typical week. There's the crowds, Jesus uh, teaching, people pushing and pulling uh, on him. Uh, they're just making demands all the time. 
And uh, there's a trip across the lake, a man is healed. But this time it was very different. But we didn't pick up on it. Uh, as we were going through these events, it just seemed very routine. It really wasn't until we were on a very quiet walk towards Caesarea Philippi that something extraordinary happened to us. Now, a large crowd had gathered, and we were in the north. Uh, many of the people who were there were not Jews like us. In fact, most of them weren't. They had heard about Jesus, but most of them had never heard him personally. And they hung on every word for one day, two days, and then three days passed. And the crowd ate everything that they had in the first uh, day. And we thought, surely they'll leave in the middle of the next day. But they didn't. They were very attentive. They weren't restless. And then the third day came, the first watch, and the second watch, and the third watch, and then it was evening. And they were still there. We thought Jesus would send them home, certainly, uh, by the third day, but he didn't. And uh, he called us to himself. And, and honestly, we were a little nervous. Uh, but he took charge. He spoke of his great compassion and how he couldn't let them walk home on empty stomachs. And uh, he asked us where uh, uh, we could uh, uh, provide. We asked him, where could we possibly find food for all these people out in the wilderness? And he turned around and said, well, what do you have on hand? And we had seven loaves. I want you to know it wasn't enough for all of us to have a, a good meal and, and a few sardines. And he told the crowd to sit down. He gave thanks to the Lord of the universe, his father. He broke the loaves and the few sardines as well. And it happened again. There was enough food for everyone. All 4,000 men, women, and children ate their fill. They were satisfied. We even had leftovers. In fact, we had more leftover at the end than we had when we started. Later, we'd look back and realize that Jesus could satisfy the nations. We left, uh, relieved that the crowd had finally dispersed, and you'd be amazed at just how much demand there is on us when the crowds are gathered. There's latrines that have to be dug. There's children that get separated uh, from their parents. There's even a bully or two, you know, and usually we have to break up a fight uh, between a couple of older children. And so we we're just glad that those people uh, were gone. And uh, we got into the boat and crossed uh, the lake. We were really just hoping for a little peace, a little rest. And when we landed, a group of Pharisees approached. And, um, well, they had, as you would say, a chip on their shoulders every time they encountered uh, Jesus. Uh, they were adversarial. Their eyes were filled with hostility and suspicion. They were convinced that uh, Jesus was a deceiver. He was leading the people away. And it was rare to find even one that had an open mind. And so they started, as they usually did, with flattery. And uh, 
just all this outward show of piety, but then uh, they made clear what they wanted. Jesus, show us a sign from heaven. Show us something that authenticates that you really are from God. You're so powerful. You're so in touch with God. Surely he wants all the people uh, to listen to you. And so give us a convincing uh, proof so we can trust you. And Jesus was angry. He is really ticked at these guys. In fact, I rarely saw him this angry. Oh, now, the Pharisees could get under anybody's skin, of course. Uh, but this time, Jesus let them have it with both barrels. He started off like one of the great prophets. His words were like Jeremiah or Ezekiel's, caustic, full of contempt. He said to them that they were uh, typical of this unfaithful, evil, selfish generation, hard-hearted more disobedient and unbelieving than those that Moses had led out of the wilderness. No sign would be given to them. Of course, they'd actually seen many signs. Jesus, they'd witnessed many uh, miracles. Um, but they are just like the people that were being led out of Egypt, who also had seen all the great miracles of uh, God. But their hearts weren't right. There was no evidence that would ever be enough for them. The veins on the necks of those Pharisees bulged as uh, their anger welled up within them. But Jesus just turned his back on them and, and walked away. We were amazed at how often it looked like it was going to come to blows. And all of a sudden, Jesus would leave. There'd be just nothing happened. It, it was just, well, it was like they were stopped dead in their tracks. In the boat, we realized that we'd forgotten to bring uh, bread, except for one uh, loaf. You know, when you go from uh, one close call, one demanding scene after another, it's the kind of thing, you know, that can slip your mind. But before we can own up to it, Jesus makes a statement. Be careful, he warned, of the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Now, now, the boat really wasn't that large. There's 13 of us in the boat. Jesus is uh, up in the bow, and, and we're back in uh, the stern. And we all heard exactly the same words, but we couldn't agree on what he was trying to say uh, to us. You know, we're trying to think about, you know, uh, Herod and the Pharisees. Well, actually, they hate each other. They were enemies. And the only thing they really shared in common was was that they were determined to hold on to their position and power. And so naturally, they were opposed to Jesus. And we talked for a long time, and then we finally concluded what Jesus was saying to us is that he was displeased that we hadn't brought bread with us. And Jesus could hear, well... Pretty much what we were saying, because after all, the book just isn't really uh, that uh, big. And he turns to us with the most direct look in his eyes, just this piercing look. And he poses eight questions to us. Why are you talking about bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see ears but fail to hear. Don't you remember when I broke the five loaves, feeding 5,000? How many leftovers did you have? And the seven 
uh, uh, loaves for 4,000. How much extra was left over? Don't you still not understand? Well, these questions, they just hung in the air. And we didn't answer him. It was just very, very quiet in the boat. He said nothing more to us that day. And we each remained silent too. It was really tense. Uh, after all, we were his closest companions, his students. Uh, we had traveled with him. He gave us private lessons. Every time he spoke publicly, he would explain to us in private what the parables meant. We thought we were on the inside, that we understood. But it was clear that we were missing something basic, something fundamental. And as we pondered, we were just stunned. We looked at each other, and I prayed under my breath. And then we landed. We came to Bethsaida, Fishtown. It was a very familiar place, and I thought to myself, well, things will get back to normal now. And some people brought a blind man uh, to us and begged Jesus to heal him. And the master led the man out, and then he spit uh, in the man's eyes. Now, I know that probably sounds gross and offensive to you, but actually some of our healers uh, would do this as well. But don't miss the fact that Jesus, well, he almost never healed people in exactly the same way. He treated everybody as an individual. He put his hands on him, looked up to heaven, and, and prayed, and then he asked the man, what do you see? And the man says his vision was blurry. And we were stunned. How could it be that he was only partially healed? Never in those two years did Jesus have to heal somebody twice. Jesus puts his hands on him a second time. The blind man's sight was healed. He could see clearly, and Jesus told him to keep quiet, not even to, to go to the village. That bought us a little time before the mobs formed. But... We all couldn't believe what we'd just seen. It took two touches. This was really strange. But we weren't talking among ourselves. You know, those stinging questions Jesus had spoken in the boat and that look he gave us, we weren't ready to ask any more questions ourselves. Um, and we just couldn't bear the thought that we might be wrong again. And so what we did is we made a small talk. And then we went to bed before we headed out. We took the road north to Caesarea Philippi, Caesar's town. He rebuilt the town. It was a really uh, well, a spectacular uh, place. And it wasn't the main road. The main trade routes were to the east and the west. So it was less traveled. It was 25 miles of full day's uh, walk. And really, we still weren't talking very much. Uh, I just couldn't get these events out of my mind. The feeding, our misunderstanding Jesus saying, there was just something more, something big. And then this strange healing. As we approached the city and entered uh, one of the, the villages, you probably think of it as a suburb. Uh, well, Jesus broke the silence and asked us, who do people say that we are? Well, finally, a question we can answer. And we all spoke up. You know, John, Elijah, one of the prophets. What about you? Who do you say that I am? Well, then suddenly all my meditations, my musings, my ponderings 
came together. Of course, the rabbis had said that when the Messiah came, when that age had begun, why, blind men would be healed. Lame people would walk. The poor would have the gospel uh, preached to them. In all the Old Testament, there was never a single blind person ever healed. And we've watched Jesus heal many blind people. And so speaking for everyone, I said, you are the Christ. Yes, we finally understood. We'd been so close to him. We'd heard all his teaching. We'd seen all uh, his amazing deeds. Yet we hadn't understood it all. Now, I can't fully explain just how it is that this happened, except to say I was blind. We saw all these things, but we failed to see them. We failed to uh, see the meaning of them. And looking back, I know this was a gift. I didn't figure it out on my own. We were all utterly clueless. I would later write, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. A miracle on the inside. Our inner sight, our spiritual sight had to be healed. But actually, it had only been healed partially. All 12 of us were really like that blind man in Bethsaida. We were only seeing partly who Jesus was. We knew he was the Messiah. He was the one we'd been waiting for. But we didn't yet understand his mission, that he came to suffer and to give his life as a ransom for us. They would raise people spiritually uh, from the dead just as he would be raised from the dead. Actually, we wouldn't have our sight fully healed until after the resurrection. He announced to us again and again from then on that he would suffer, uh, that he would be mistreated, uh, that he would die, and he would be raised from the dead. But we would not hear it. We did not understand it. It didn't fit with anything we thought we knew about the Messiah. Now, I've thought about that man a lot. This man that Jesus healed. Jesus was acting out a parable for our sake and actually for yours too. I found myself partially cited again and again once long after uh, Jesus had ascended while I was leading uh, the mission to share the good news among uh, the Jews, I became blind to one of the fundamental implications of the gospel. I stopped eating with the Gentiles. I decided that I would start keeping kosher very strictly. I gave in to the fear of man. I'd forgotten that my deeds, my obedience, my piety, none of these things uh, made me more acceptable to God. You know, imagine that. After having that vision and going to Cornelius, I just completely forgot it. I was blind to it. And so Jesus uh, touched me through the apostle Paul with a public rebuke. That's what it took uh, to get my eyesight back. It was pretty humiliating to be uh, chewed out that way in public. In fact, Paul writes about that in one of his uh, letters. Now, I've come to see that many times in my life, I'm actually, well, I'm still blind. I can only see uh, partially. Fortunately, it doesn't always involve the public embarrassment 
that that moment uh, did. And so I've learned to pray and to ask. What does all this have to do with you? Well, Mark wrote his gospel for those who wanted to know more about Jesus, who were searching. But he also wrote it for you who are following him. I would have never seen unless I'd been willing to let him pierce me in the boat with those stinging questions. Let his eyes lock uh, with mine and make me so uncomfortable. Uh, To be there and watch him feed the 4,000 and consider how it is that he satisfies. To let his uh, words uh, just sit with me and soak in me. And here's what you need to do. You need perhaps to ask him to heal your own inner blindness. You might be surprised if you do that, just how partial your sight is. Well, that's what it would be like to hear this story perhaps from Peter. Can you find yourself in this story? Are you more like Peter who thought he could see clearly? Or are you like the blind man who knew he couldn't? Well, I can identify with both. But having followed Jesus now for some time, I see I'm much more like Peter than I might care to admit. You know, the place that we need to begin, the place I have to keep coming back to, is considering the possibility regularly that I am blind, that I don't see as clearly as I think I do that I don't see myself as clearly as I am. I'm not as obedient or mature or holy or wise or loving or you name it. I'm just not that person. I'd like to think of myself as being that person. And I've come to see that there's often I'm just, well, I don't see Jesus as clearly as I think. Um, And I'm not as in tune uh, with him. I'm not as aligned Uh, with what he's uh, doing. Uh, At times I'm just dull. Uh, I'm passively resisting uh, him. Uh, I I just can't see what he's uh, doing. I'm not even looking uh, for it. There are times when I just don't understand why I make the choices that I uh, do, why I invest uh, my time and energy, or my, uh, why it is I back off, I stand at a distance, or why I'm critical and, and harsh and negative. And at times it's really hard for me to see how much fear shapes uh, how I respond to people or a situation, or, or how control uh, leads me uh, to want to manipulate things, or uh, how I'm committed to having influence, and so I, I tell uh, the facts in a certain way. Maybe, maybe you know, I exaggerate here, or I leave something uh, out. Um, just how much I get committed to certain outcomes. And, and it just leads me to be really just strong-headed, uh, bull-headed. So who are you more like? Peter, who thinks he can see, or the blind man who knows he can't? Are you willing to go on a journey to get your eyesight back? You know, Jesus heals Peter in the community 
there of the other 11 disciples. The healing that Jesus wants to do, desires to do, happens in community, happens in the midst of the relationships that he creates as we relate to him. Uh, We can be open to him. We can relate to the spiritual community. We can together uh, seek what Jesus uh, wants. Together we can learn what it looks like to really surrender to him. But it's a choice. You can choose not to do those things. What are you choosing? Will you go deeper? Will you let other people talk to you, involve with you, know what's really going on with you? If you're leaders, are you willing to commit to being a community that's focused on Jesus Christ? Pursuing together spiritual transformation. Seeking together to discern the will of God. Committed to doing whatever he shows you. Are you willing uh, to work together in ways that might be new and even awkward initially? Let me close this in prayer. Maybe you can make this prayer yours as well. Father, I need healing. I'm blind, but don't know it. I only partially see, but think I see with 20-20 vision. Lord Jesus, come and heal my inner blindness. Enable me to see you and what you're doing, to see myself and to see the spiritual condition of the people around me and the opportunities you give me to share the gospel. It's in his name I pray. Amen.